Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Bill Press Pod and a special morning after Election Day roundtable. In record numbers, the American people have spoken, but believe it or not, we still don't know for sure what the hell they had to say. As of 8.30 this morning, November 4, Joe Biden leads Donald Trump in the all-important Electoral College, 224 to 213, according to CNN, 238 to 213, according to Politico. But all the votes have not been counted. As many as seven or nine states have still not been called. So it won't be until later today or maybe even tomorrow that we know the next president of the United States. Early this morning, Joe Biden urged Americans to be patient till the last votes are counted, while Donald Trump insisted he'd already won the election and counting any more votes is tantamount to stealing the election from him. In a way, it's a fitting end to the longest, weirdest, and most grueling presidential campaign ever. And joining us today to assess where we are with the vote and what lies ahead in the next few days are four political reporters who've covered this campaign every step of the way, in effect, for the last four years since Donald Trump filed his re-election papers on Inauguration Day 2017. Let's meet our panel, Maya King, politics reporter for Politico. Hi, Maya. Hi, thanks for having me. Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington editor for NBC News Digital. Hi, Ginger. Hello. Good. Time to you there. Chris Catalago is a national political reporter for Politico. Hi, Chris. How are you? Good, good. And Jason Dick, sleepy, by the way, <laughs> Jason Dick, I think we all are, deputy editor of Roll, CQ Roll Call. Hi, Jason. Morning, everybody. You know, well, we've uh, been uh, on morning after shows before and uh, panels before, and normally this is when we talk about, well, um, what was the final tally and how did so-and-so win and what's the new cabinet going to look like in the new administration? Well, not this time. Uh, we, we really don't know uh, who it could be. could still be Joe Biden, could still be Donald Trump. So a couple of questions. Where are we now on, as you see it? Then what happens next? Jason, you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I, I will note that this was uh, not particularly a great uh, t uh, night for people who like tidy narratives. I think we're going to be <laughs> I think we're going to be sorting this out for a while. Um, you know, this is a uh, a story that just keeps unfolding, and it doesn't seem like there's going to be an endpoint uh, for a little while. I mean, where we're at, we have you know several battleground states, as you mentioned at the top there, uh, that are still uncalled. Among them, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Georgia. Um, you know, Biden is is uh, sort of tantalizingly close. Uh, he, he basically needs to, to, you know, win two of them, uh, you know, like in, in uh, you know, possibly three to make it happen. 
And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing the, the effects of, of having such a long election and having a lot of early voting that happened and a lot of mail voting and also each state doing their own thing and how they tabulate them. So, you know, it, it could be a little while, it could be as much as a, as a couple of days or maybe even a couple of weeks, depending on court challenges. And we also do not know the result of the, you know, who will be running the Senate in January. Yeah. Uh, we, we have at least one runoff uh, in Georgia uh, and, and possibly a second one. And uh, the House looks, you know, sort of that it will be uh, controlled by Democrats. But even there, we don't know the results of a lot of races that are outstanding. It looks like re- Republicans will probably pick up a few seats, but still fall short of the minority. So we have yeah. a, a ways to go. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Let's keep our Senate discussion for a little later in the uh, in the podcast here and focus on the presidential. Ginger, um, did, did you expect to know last night or is this no surprise to you? I was definitely of the mind that I thought if the polls were right, we were going to know last night. I, I thought by the time we logged in to record this podcast, we were going to have a really good sense of who had won. And I think that, um, again, we've sort of been caught off guard and surprised and we're having polls um, be not what they said they were going to be um, in the poll that matters as the cliche goes. So uh, I think I am a little surprised, but um, I think what we're seeing is um, kind of also what we said was going to happen. Uh, We said that uh, there would sort of be some states where it looked like one candidate was winning and losing. And if you dug down into the like, nitty gritty of the details, um, that it would then be clear that another candidate, uh, was likely to win. But, um, I do think this is going to stretch longer, uh, than some of us who, uh, didn't sleep very much last night were expecting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Chris, what do you think happened here? I mean, you know, one thing that I found very, I thought insightful before, let me throw is Dave Wasserman from the Cook Political Report warned us that in the early in the evening, we might see what he called the red mirage in the north and the blue mirage in the south, right? Meaning that it looked like Democrats might do better in the south than they ended up doing, and Republicans might do better in the north than they ended up doing. Uh, that sort of came true, didn't it? It did, and I think there's a few things here. One is our expectations going into uh, election night. Um, the Biden campaign, if you really listen to what they were saying in, in, in the days leading up to it, it was they, they were trying to downplay this idea that they, would, uh, that they would win Florida, even though at the same time they were sending um, you know, some pretty high-profile surrogates, including uh, Barack Obama, to the state. Yeah. Um, and, and doing a whole lot of activity, they seemed like they were in a position where they wanted to have these opportunities, um, places like Florida, even Texas. They wanted to be responsive to leaders in their party in these states who, who wanted them to go all in. Um, but at the same time, they kept their focus on the you know, quote unquote so-called blue wall. And they were saying that that's really where they needed to perform and that they don't, didn't really need these other states. Um in the, and they didn't want to emphasize that too much, right? Because then you're taking uh, then you're taking attention away from uh, the states the states that you still want to get and would be nice to get, um, but but that you necessarily wouldn't. And I think the other thing about this is just the way in which these elections are covered by television and the states that report early. Obviously, Florida has had so many years of experience in in dealing with. 
uh, mail ballots versus some of these other states um, like uh, Michigan and and uh, and Pennsylvania that have had a lot less experience. And so I think um, that was part of what you were seeing as well in in terms of the public seeing the vote mm-hmm. coming in early on the Democratic side and feeling good about those uh, Sunbelt states and then seeing that lead shrink. And, and finally go to Trump. And, and, and then now you're seeing these late counts in uh, places like uh, Detroit, um, in Michigan, uh, even Atlanta and, and the uh, Atlanta suburbs in Georgia uh, that could favor Biden. And so um, if, if you're from a state where you've seen mail-in ballots for many years, if you've watched House races, none of this is very surprising. This is something that we see cycle after cycle. Um, in a presidential race, it's not something that we that we've seen recently as much. And I think that uh, it just tends to uh, color how we see it. Right. So Maya, what is your take? Do you think that uh, Biden ever had a the, the real, a realistic chance of taking Florida, Georgia, even Texas that they were talking about? Well, Democrats have spoken to in Georgia are definitely saying still that they believe the state is still in play. Um, really? Look- yeah. And if you look, I mean, the numbers are, are, I mean, it is a pretty razor thin margin right now between Trump and Biden. And the last um, results to come in are going to come from those really blue Atlanta areas and those Atlanta suburbs. And so um, Democrats are still kind of confident that, you know, Biden could pull off an upset in Georgia. I don't know what the implications of that for the future are. But one thing that I've really um, paid attention to here are just the fact that Trump has really overperformed with some groups of color. Um, we saw in Florida, um, you know, it wasn't in Politico's reporting, we've reported on this before, but looking at the at the, the returns from Cuban-Americans and Venezuelan-Americans yeah. who really overwhelmingly supported the president's re-election, um, it's not necessarily surprising, but I feel like the narrative going into this was a lot of groups of color, blacks and Latinos, which is kind of the, these blanket, um, you know, demographic terms, they were really expected to go overwhelmingly for Democrats, not just um, for the presidency, but also down ballot. And we did not see that happen in Florida and also saw a couple of, um, of upsets uh, for House candidates like Donna Shalala. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, 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 I think Biden may have had a chance, but, um, you know, going into this election, a lot of folks still said and people of color, look, you can't treat us like a monolith and we don't all share the same interests. And folks felt like, um, you know, at some turns, especially in Florida, the Democrats had really applied this blanket strategy to getting out the vote to them, and it didn't quite work. So I thought that was one thing last night. um, I kept watching my phone, waiting for a tweet from Donald Trump. I felt almost, you know, abandoned because I (laughs) didn't hear from him all night long, right? And Well, that didn't last long. (laughs) Well, it it didn't until... Joe Biden came out and spoke, right? And then I think Donald Trump said, I got to get out there. So uh, Joe Biden did come first up in Wilmington, Delaware, another drive-in appearance uh, with his wife, Jill. Uh, And a little different message from what we heard later from Trump. Let's hear from Biden first. We knew because of the unprecedented early vote and the mail-in vote, that it's going to take a while. We're going to have to be patient until we, uh, the hard work of tallying the votes is finished. And it ain't over till every vote is counted, every ballot is counted. You know, we can know the results as early as tomorrow morning, but it may take a little longer. As I've said all along, it's not my place or Donald Trump's place to declare who's won this election. 
That's the decision of the American people. Ginger, at the time, that was the right message, huh? I, I mean, I think it's still the right message, right? I mean, that's the message that Biden wants his supporters to hear. He thinks he's going to win, and he wants all the votes to be counted. Um, I, I can't imagine that there would be an advantage. And I mean, lots of is said about this period being about narrative setting and, and what are you saying to people. But um, at the end of the day, um, it's like we're all watching a race that's already over, but we just don't know the winner. I mean, the ballots are cast, right? So yeah. Being both counted, and and also you know like let's keep in mind some of the context that we're seeing as we're we're getting some of these votes in. I mean, Biden, you know, just passed a threshold of getting more votes for president than any candidate ever. So is that right? Yes, wow. he, he, about a half an hour ago, huh. uh, the the you know AP had, had started uh, tabulating because you know we're they're continuing to count votes, and so he's he's got more you know votes than Hillary Clinton got, but then Donald Trump got. Uh, I mean, and so the you know if you're if you want to be a candidate right now, you probably want to be Joe Biden with multiple ways to get there. Um, you know, this is this is kind of the way the system was designed, and you know, like, and and again, it's it's not a great time for if you want a tidy uh, conclusion, right? So that was a quite a contrast to the statement that we heard from the president uh, early this morning in, from the White House, um, which had sort of um, an ominous tone to it. I thought, uh, let's hear from Donald Trump. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. To me, this is a very sad moment, and we will win this. And we, as far as I'm concerned, we already have. Well, Chris, he's already talked about going to the Supreme Court, right? Yeah, and I mean, the legal recourse, as everyone's kind of already pointed out, is uh, highly, highly questionable because these were votes that were cast uh, when the election was still happening. And so yeah. going in and saying that a vote that someone cast, no matter how they cast it, that has not been counted yet, doesn't count for the same thing that a vote that has been counted for, uh, it just doesn't seem like it, it would make much of a case in court. Uh, and, and yeah, um, we don't we don't really know the results yet, and we don't know what the challenge would be. Um, so, Maya, what what does that tell you about plans that the Trump campaign has for today, tomorrow, and the next few days? Well, it does mirror the playbook that we knew they were going to try to uh, lay out here, which is if the results of the election were not clear on election night, that they were going to try to start to sow confusion and discord and claim fraud, um, which is exactly what the president did last night. But what it really did, I think, was sow fear um, among people as well. And we knew that the next step they were going to take here was to try to figure out how to make a legal case um, to hand this election to the president for a second term. And I, again, I don't know um, how much how much sense to make of it, but it does match exactly what Republicans and the president said. And I think another big question now here is if Biden wins and it is a clear victory, does Trump make good on on his commitment to or not? I won't say his commitment, but his uh, his allusions to not, you know, peacefully 
giving up power and leaving the White House. Um, and I think that's still a big question mark in a number of people's minds, given his his remarks last night. Well, you if you're going to, it seems to me, if you're going to sue, right, if the president's going to sue, if the president's going to challenge, uh, there has to be some something that really went wrong, right? Or, 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 even, a, or even a lawsuit, right? I mean, he, yeah, he, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't have a lawsuit right now. You don't just like show up and knock on the Supreme Court's door and say like, hello, I'd like you to stop counting. <laughs> also, I mean, he's sort of saying, I'm going to fight wherever it takes to make me win, right? Which right. at this moment is arguing counter positions. In Arizona, he's displeased that some news organizations have called it for Biden. Mine, not among them. NBC has not called it. Um, but he's uh, upset that other news organizations have. And he wants them to keep voting because or counting because he's behind there. He wants the count to continue. Exactly. Pennsylvania, where he leads, he's almost suggesting that they should stop counting, <laughs> even though, as I think Jason pointed out, we're talking, or maybe uh, it was Christopher, we're talking about ballots that were cast on election day, these are not disputed ballots. These are ballots that were passed in ways that, that conform with the law. Um, they just haven't been tabulated yet. He wants those counts to stop. Um, and, and I think that, like, you know, probably not going to see Trump lose any sleep over taking counter positions there. Um, but it does become complicated to take counter positions. Are we stopping counting? Are we keep counting? Um, and risks having to reverse positions as this goes on. Um, people looking at Pennsylvania think that it's possible that at the end of the day, Biden comes out on top. And then at which case it becomes Trump's advantage that they keep counting, because if you're down, <laughs> you want the vote to keep going. So, I mean, there's really just not a lot of great groundwork laying here. But let's also not expect consistency <laughs> from Donald Trump <laughs> on, on any issue. But isn't this a time to acknowledge uh, and this is sort of related to that, that um, maybe surprisingly yesterday, uh, despite the pandemic and despite all the warnings about, oh, this was going to be so such a screwed up election day, basically it went off yesterday without any serious glitches, really, anywhere that I heard of, and with a record turnout. Uh, so, Jason, maybe that's something to celebrate. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you think about, like, how how braced we were for are the russians going to get involved uh are voting machines gonna work are there gonna be too long lines places in yeah. making it a dangerous situation yeah i mean like in general uh, the, the, the system worked as well as it can in the united states i mean this is not finland you know it, it, not everything works <laughs> and things are, are designed <laughs> a little strangely uh but and, and inefficiently but that's that's kind of who we are and and we have i think we avoided the biggest you know sort of uh, uh, boulders in the middle of the road that we were expecting. Now we just have to, you know, count and do what we'd normally do. Yeah. There's uh, also, there's also a, a, a real, some areas here that we will have to reckon with. I mean, one is uh, what some of these polls had showed going into uh, election night and, and looking at the lead that Biden had in some of these states. The other one, I think, is there is going to be a cost to um, even the comments Donald Trump made last night, even if somehow he abandons that idea, and uh, which we don't expect, and um, and and you know goes with with what we see come out in terms of the results, he's he's now told you know millions of people, he's told the country and millions of people who uh, tend to his supporters who tend to believe what he says um, that he's already won, and and that basically these results that come out are going to be illegitimate, and I think there's just going to 
you know, in both these things, one in the in the kind of narrow election world of looking at polls and how how our our opinions are shaped going into the race, um, but also the aftermath with Trump's comments. There's there's just going to be so many aspects of this that we are going to continue to look at, um, even if uh, Biden squeaks it out. Well, that's an interesting scenario. Let's say that we know at the end of the day or early tomorrow morning, these other states have come in and it's pretty clear, solid, solidly clear that Joe Biden won, not by a landslide. Nobody's going to win by a landslide, but that Joe Biden is the winner. And yet Donald Trump still says, I won. Uh, this is a crooked election. Maya or anybody, what what's your take on what does Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy or the Republican leadership say at that time? Do they accept the will of the people or do they go along with Trump's read? I mean, this is the question, but I think it's incumbent upon folks like Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and others to accept the results of the election. Um, one would and, hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One would hope that you know, if the if the the guardrails of a democracy really hold up, that's exactly what would happen. But the fact that that's even a question mark, I think, is telling and revealing of, of where we are. Um, you know, a number of, of Republican lawmakers have been kind of mealy mouthed about, you know, that 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 question. Um, and it, and it were made to be seen. But um, I think it would I think it's extremely important that Donald Trump's colleagues in the Senate um, and just across the board do accept the results of the election either mm -hmm. way it goes. So most people say, I think every site that I looked at this morning, it, it, it probably boils down to three states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. I mean, North Carolina is still out there, kind of. Georgia is still out there, kind of. But Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Let's take them one at a time. Chris, you've been on the road a lot. Michigan. Um, right now, as of an hour ago, Trump was up by half a point with 86% of the votes in. What's going on in Michigan? So we have gotten an update in Michigan from the uh, Secretary of State who uh, who has said, sorry, I, I shouldn't have uh, given too high an expectation there, who has said that they do expect to have the results by the end of the day. So not a, uh -huh. oh. uh, a ballot counting update, but a but a update just on the timing of it. Yeah. Um, the, the number of votes that are out there potentially for uh, Joe Biden, uh, particularly in Wayne County, where uh, uh, you know, just over half of the of the anticipated vote has been reported. That's um, Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, the there are also uh, several other areas: Grand Rapids, Lansing, um, Oakland County, the suburbs there, uh, where a large vote is still to come in, which could certainly uh, help Biden uh, overtake Trump in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Uh, who's got the new, uh, word on uh, Pennsylvania? It's been taking a look at that. Anyone there? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, like with Pennsylvania, I mean, like one of the things that we this okay, is. The, let me let me just oh. point out, as of this time, uh, actually, uh, an hour ago, I checked them all. Trump was up still twelve points in Pennsylvania, with seventy-five percent of the vote in. But I understand, Jason. I guess it's the Philadelphia Chester area that is lagging behind. Right. It's Philadelphia and its suburbs, you know, as well as uh, a, a, a somewhat sizable chunk in Pittsburgh. And, you know, again, I'd, I'd point out that the, you know, this is where a lot of people live yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and they they I, they tend to vote more Democratic. And particularly, you know, where you look at where Biden made gains, he made gains 
you know, with people in the suburbs, people with college educations that, you know, that, and, and so forth. And, and that's, that's primarily what we're talking about there. Uh, so traditional democratic areas and suburban areas and college educated areas. This is, these are not the areas where he was losing ground, like with Hispanics in Miami, say. And so, I mean, like there, you know, again, most of the votes that are, that are still being tabulated were, you know, the, the mail-in votes that, tended to like, you know, skew towards the Democrats. So it's not inconceivable that Biden does over overtake Trump's lead in that. It just, again, this looks like it, it look when people see one thing when they go to bed and then they see another thing when they wake up in the morning, it's a little disconcerting, but it's also not uh, particularly strange considering the strange circumstances of this election. Maya, that's one place where the uh, minority vote uh, uh, really has come, looks like has come through for Biden or will, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that actually talking to a number of sources this morning is that a lot of people are actually confident that in these remaining states, the minority vote will be what puts Biden over the top. Um, and that black voters in places like Philadelphia and the Philadelphia suburbs, also Detroit and Michigan um, and uh, Milwaukee and Wisconsin, like these are places where Biden will win by larger margins than Hillary Clinton did in 2016. And that's what will put him over the top and deliver him victories in those states. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody take a look at Wisconsin, Ginger? Have you? Yeah, I mean, if you look at Wisconsin, a, a place where uh, Biden felt really, really confident, the stuff that we're missing in Wisconsin is still some of the big uh, areas. I mean, we had uh, Milwaukee has counted, um, and that put over Biden over the sort of the live count. You know, he he mm-hmm. leads in Wisconsin as of about nine o'clock this morning. Uh, but I think what we're seeing, like Pennsylvania, like Michigan, um, is what we warned people was going to happen. Right, that the that the Biden vote was going to come in later. Um, and I think if you were watching Virginia count in real time oh, last boy. night, it was a yeah. really great example of that. Right. I mean, look at Loudoun County, Virginia. Um, it's a sort of rural county. It's where horse country is, but it's suburbs. It's the exurbs of Washington D.C. And for the longest time last night, Loudoun had uh, Trump up. And if you know Loudoun, you know that Trump winning Loudoun. County County would have been big for him. It would have meant he probably won uh, the presidency. And then all of a sudden, Loudoun counted all of their early votes, and it went from Trump with like 55 percent uh, to Biden with like, you know, 60-something percent. It flipped really fast. Um, and I think that is a little bit of what we can see, especially in those ring counties in Pennsylvania. I mean, look at Delaware County. Delco uh, is a place that has uh, a big Trump vote, but also a big Biden vote. I mean, we're just going to see those places. I think Maya was right about uh, where the minority vote is going to come in um, as as they keep counting. Um, and those are votes that were cast yesterday um, or were cast via early voting and are still being tabulated. Right. So um, I un- don't I remember, Jason, that you are an Arizonan by birth? Yes, I, I am a third generation Arizona. Oh, I'm um, sorry. And, I and, apologize. For <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, part of it credit. is just part of it is that it's just rare. Uh, you know, like Arizona was a, a, a small state for a long time, and now it's on its way to becoming one of those kind of states that we mention all the time, like Wisconsin. So uh, my so my question is at least one that work, uh, and it looks like Biden is going to flip Arizona. Mark Kelly has won the Senate race in Arizona. What does flipping Arizona mean in terms of Democrats and the Sun Belt? Is that a portent of 
you know, good news to come or just I mean, an aberration? It, it would seem like that. I mean, you know, this is a big deal. Um, you know, like growing up in, in Arizona, if you would have told me that, you know, that, that there would be kind of a blue t- uh, tint at any point in Arizona um, when I was a teenager in the in the 80s and, and a young man in in the 1990s, I would have been very skeptical of that because this is John McCain country and Barry Goldwater company. Uh, but you know, it has it has happened, and I think that one of the things that you know has been sort of you, you see it sort of in the ether is we probably would do better as people who cover politics in in stopping referring to Hispanics as one large voting block. And, and start to delineate like where people come from and where they are, you know, in their states. And so Cubans, you know, are not going to vote the same way that, his, you know, Mexican-Americans in Arizona are going to vote. And I mean, it, it would seem that Arizona has benefited a lot from some migration from California. It used to be this sort of Midwestern destination in the mm-hmm. mid, mid, mid-century. It seems like a lot of more people are moving from California and other more liberal parts. And it's, I was, I was a little surprised at how, I mean, it didn't happen easily or quickly for Democrats last night, but the fact that it was called, um, it was like, okay, wow, this is, that's, I didn't see that. And Bill Clinton won it, you know, in once, but, uh, you know, it, it's not one of those places that, that turns easily. It's not, it was not what I thought of as a battleground state, but I think it might be now. Right. Um, one a point that I was watching uh, CNN partly last night, that uh, a point of John King, uh, who <laughs> works that incredible magic wall, um, kept making was that the local officials in every state were dealing with a phenomenon they've never had to deal with before. Three kind of different kinds of votes, right? Mail-in ballots, the early vote, and the people who showed up that day to vote. So it was really a, a, prob- a, a problem they've never had to tackle before, a three, threefold problem. And in terms of turnout yesterday, it seems that a lot of that was motivated by Donald Trump's rallies, rallying his base to get out and vote on Election Day. Chris, I thought he was wasting his time with all these rallies, but it may have really worked for him. Yeah, I think a lot of it was turning out his uh, his base. We did see in a number of these states, um, particularly Florida, which he had a late rally uh, that went over Monday night uh, over uh, Monday night into into Tuesday morning. Um, that basically, or it might have been Sunday into Monday, that basically his vote share. What it wasn't so much a story about uh, Biden underperforming in, in Miami Dade and other areas. It was that Trump was able to jack up his support so high. I think if you talk to a lot of Democrats, their point on the rallies for Trump would be wasn't really something that Biden could have done. Right? It was that when Trump couldn't do his rallies, it cost him a lot more than it cost Biden, and Biden right. wasn't doing his rallies, and so. The advantage for Trump was definitely there. Um, the other thing we're starting to see, and, and I'm going to cut in just to kind of point out something as this news kind of rolls in from the Biden campaign. There, yeah. The confidence level, as we're talking on the uh, on this this morning, has just really gone up. I mean, they're now sharing with reporters that uh, a timeline of when these states expect to come in. They're basically saying that they are going to win Wisconsin. They're going to win Michigan, which they expect. Uh, midday, they think Wisconsin will be called this morning. 
Pennsylvania they're still confident about because of those vote by mail. And then you have Georgia midday or early afternoon. Uh, Nevada not until tomorrow tomorrow morning, and things are still looking well for them there. So I think just to throw that out there, uh, certainly the rallies for Trump were were big, and, and he was able to get the crowds. Um, it, it was a metric that we were not seeing in the polls that clearly manifested with his supporters. I, I just want to be clear. This is uh, this information you're pointing out uh, is coming from you're getting this from the Biden campaign. Right. Yes, This is what they're sharing with reporters this morning uh, about where they think things stand in those states. And I think it, it goes further than they had been saying, which was a little more general um, uh, earlier. Right. So um, uh, absent any court challenges, uh, as this plays out today, given where we stand uh, at this moment, um, I'd like to ask each of you, who do you think is going to be the next president of the United States? Maya? Well, I think um, I think I can still I mean, looking at the data it does still look like it's a it's a Biden win. Um, but what Democrats are in for is a major realignment and lots and lots of infighting and just a big showdown between now and, and January and beyond. But I do I do still feel like this is a win for for the former vice president. Do you agree, Ginger? I mean, at nine o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, I'd rather be Joe Biden than Donald Trump. Uh, that's for sure. I think that the real question is, how does America handle this? Right. Um, and that's going to be a big open question. I mean, with a president declaring victory when he hasn't been one. I mean, he came out with prepared remarks to sort of enumerate the places he thought he was winning. This was not just off cuff remarks. He clearly intends to argue against um, the, the tallying. I mean, what happens uh, in the next several days if it takes several days? Um, and I think that's a big outstanding question that, that we don't know the answer to. Mm -hmm. Jason, how do you call it if you had to today, right now? Yeah, I mean, it would it would seem to be heading Biden's way, and you know, one one of the other things too is that like to to Ginger's point about like where how do we process this? If Biden wins an actual majority of the votes, not not just like in the forties, you know, like you know, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote yeah, in twenty sixteen, right. but she did not get fifty percent uh, plus one. So if if Biden wins a majority, a clear majority of the votes. And it's still we're still fussing around with the Electoral College. I think that that is a good time to do some soul searching about, like, how 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 is this working out for us? Mm -hmm. Right. Chris, how do you call it? Yeah, Biden is is clearly in the stronger position. But I, I would I would think that there will be a difference in terms of how this is ultimately interpreted if he is uh, going to take a place like Georgia. I think that that padding in his ultimate number uh, could make a difference in how people look back at um, at how uh, commanding the win was. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do want to move on and get your take on the Senate, but uh, you intrigued me there, Jason, by raising the issue, the phrase electoral college, electoral college. So uh, as you pointed out earlier, um, thank you, Joe Biden has now um, exceeded the number of popular votes racked up by any presidential candidate in history, right? More than anybody else ever has. Right. Uh, and, and looking at the, the, the situation that we're in right now, where is another clear winner of the popular vote, and yet we don't know who the, who the winner of this election is, does this add fuel or emphasis to the move to get rid of the Electoral College? 
I mean, I would think so. Getting there is going to be, you know, very difficult because it would take a constitutional amendment. And, you know, in divided government, I would be skeptical <laughs> of, yeah. of, of that. But what? I mean, you know, this is a this is a system that was designed in the 18th century. And we, I think it's fair to ask whether it still works in the 21st century. Ginger, do you think there'll be a big push here? More of a push? I think I think I'm going to have to disagree with Jason here. I think that in okay. fact it will make it it will make it make any such push harder. I mean, there has been a movement on a state level um, to sort of sort of you know hack um, the electoral college by having states enter right. this compact, right, where they would they would all give their pop their votes to whoever won the popular vote. Um, but if you're um, a fan of Donald Trump and you just you know he manages to win, um, or even if he loses, right, you're still seeing uh, the current, the status quo as, as something that works to your favor. Uh, and and I think one of our biggest takeaways from uh, this tally is that this is an America that is still deeply divided, right? And, and I can't imagine that anything last night makes you think that there could be enough consensus to change a system uh, going forward. Yeah. My one other thought, too, is that there was a, a, a I think, a predominant thought, particularly among Democrats, that the overriding issue was the coronavirus. And it was very clear that this election was a referendum on how Donald Trump handled the coronavirus. And it was overwhelmingly evident that he had mishandled it. No question about it. Therefore, this would be a resounding repudiation of Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus. Uh, doesn't quite look like that, does it? It doesn't. And in states where the virus really ravaged communities, Donald Trump won. Looking at Florida, Texas, a number of states in the Midwest where the virus is worse than it was in, in New York. I mean, that's that's a huge story, I think, of, of this election, um, that we came into it thinking it was a referendum on the virus. And really, that's not, that's not what's playing out um, in real time. And I'd also like to add to Ginger's point, I mean, it's absolutely right. This is an extremely divided and polarized country. And perhaps we underestimated just how um, divided this country is. But I think if you look at the results last night, and even once we know for sure who, um, is, the, who is the president, I mean, it's going to be a squeaker. And I think that's, that's, that's very much uh, a parallel of just where this country is. It's very, very polarized and very divided. So it's almost unsurprising that we're at this point. Uh, right. And some people thought there would be a clear shift uh, across the board, including in the United States Senate. And yet, Chris, if we shift to the Senate, um, some of the seats that Democrats were really counting on picking up, um, Iowa, right, with uh, Teresa Greenfield, um, in South Carolina with uh, Jamie Harrison, in Kentucky with Amy McGrath, all went the other way. Yeah, and and we're looking at Susan Collins too in Maine. Obviously, hasn't uh, been called yet, has it? I don't has right. has not been called, and she could be such an intriguing figure if Biden pulls this out, and she she remains in the Senate given where where we thought what we thought could happen to her in this race. But yeah, I mean, so much of it that the the hundreds of millions of dollars that poured in from across the country. Uh, you know, you even had Amy, Amy McGrath and, 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 uh, and Mitch McConnell in Kentucky that, that uh, seemed to give Democrats a false sense of hope in a lot of these states that, that, that they would be able to win some of these races. Obviously, you did have uh, Arizona with, uh, with Mark Kelly and you had John Hickenlooper in Colorado. 
um, that were sort of bright spots for Democrats. But the Senate was certainly disappointing. And then if you go down another step to the House and you look at the pickups that Republicans were able to make in in some of these districts, um, it kind of adds to the disappointment. I don't know that we've seen anything like this. Uh, You guys probably know a lot more about this. Uh, in in recent years, on, in a presidential election year, where this is just not supposed to happen to Democrats, right? Uh, by the way, let me let me just break in here if I can. I want to get uh, Jason and Ginger and uh, Maya to comment on the Senate and the House as well. Uh, but as hosts, uh, I neglected to take a quick little break uh, so we could thank our sponsor for today's roundtable. Uh, let's do that, and then we'll come back to the rest of our panel. We're here today with Maya King and Chris Catalago from. Politico, Ginger Gibson from NBC Digital, and Jason Dick from CQ Roll Call. And today's roundtable, morning after the election, brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the great men and women of the Teamsters Union, under President Jim Hoffa, representing just about every uh, endeavor of work and workers' families in America today. As they say, everybody from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers, members of the Teamsters, we salute them, thank them for their great work and their support of the Bill Press Pod direct you to their website to learn more at teamster.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Back, wrapping up with our panelists, Christopher Catalago and Mike King from Politico, Jason Dick, a deputy uh, managing editor of CQ Roll Call, and Ginger Gibson uh, from uh, N- editor for NBC Digital here in Washington. Uh, so what about the Senate, uh, Ginger? Um, it's, uh, it's either going to be tied, right, or we may have to wait until January. How do you read it? Yeah, there's still a lot of open questions on the Senate as well. And, and you know, going into this night, I, I expected we wouldn't know the Senate by this time of the morning. Um, but we can look across races and see really close races. Where there's going to be a runoff in the special in Georgia. Um, if uh, the expectations about Georgia for Biden hold to the Senate race, we could see a runoff in the Senate race in Georgia. Um, if it's Purdue can't clear that that 50% mark. Um, and so some open questions, although I think it's, it's important to say um, that the Republicans have um, sort of exceeded expectations in the Senate. I think uh, Mitch McConnell can probably say he had um, a good night so far. Uh, they held some seats that they, they were really worried about risking. So uh, n- they're going to they're going to not be too nervous, I think, going into the rest of this count. 
Yeah, I saw one uh, prediction that Democrats had a 70% chance of taking control of the Senate. Maya, um, not so, maybe. Yeah, it's looking thinner and thinner. I'm really interested also in the North Carolina race. We went into it expecting um, Cal Cunningham to kind of run away with it, despite that um, sexting scandal from earlier in October. And yet here we are. I believe Tillis is still pretty well ahead, um, if not by a slim margin, but enough perhaps to put him over the top. And so, I mean, that was a really key seat um, in Democrats taking the Senate back. And their, their odds um, look much slimmer than 70 percent now. And I'm, I think this will drag into January. I've been following um, the special election in Georgia, and it's pretty clear that Raphael Warnock and Kelly Loeffler will be headed to um, a runoff election in January. And so the time between now and then is going to be extremely costly um, for Democrats and, and probably pretty ugly in terms of messaging and, and figuring out how to, to to get voters to turn out either um, you know against Warnock or or for Loeffler, and these are two very different candidates as well. Um, and I was also interested in Mississippi. You know, Mike Espy was mm-hmm. um, was not necessarily favored, but was within striking distance um, of Cindy Hyde Smith, and that was another pretty emotional race. Um, but of course, in the end, um, Hyde Smith did come out on top. So uh, Democrats' odds of, of holding the Senate are, are slimmer and slimmer, but they do still exist. So, um, you know, I think just like with everything else today, it still is very much a, a nail biter and a wait and see. Uh, there was also, Jason, the expectation, your comments on the Senate, but uh, I want to ask about the House as well. Expectation that the Democrats might pick up as many as 10 to 15 seats in the House. That didn't happen either. So far, yeah, I, I yeah it it didn't. I mean, they they did they they got some early pickups. You know, they had a more favorable map uh, in North Carolina, so they picked up a couple of Republican seats there. Uh, but you know, they they lost uh, in in Miami uh, with with Donna Shalala and Debbie Mershko Powell. Uh, they you know lost those two seats. They lost a you know a couple of unexpected wins from twenty eighteen. They they lost Kendra Horn and uh, Zochil Torres Fall in, in New Mexico. And and then the Republicans probably their the thing that they're feeling the most the, the best about emotionally is that they finally were able to topple Colin Peterson in Minnesota. I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, he was going uh, he's been there since 1990 and and uh, and was a Democrat in a very conservative place, and he was sort of the white whale. Well, they and they finally they finally got him. They got then and part of this is like candidates. You know, some of it is fundraising, some of it is just dynamics, and some of it's a combination of the, of all. But certainly enough probably to uh, cement uh, Kevin McCarthy in as a Republican leader again and Nancy Pelosi in as speaker. I think that, you know, if we were looking at the upper end of, of Democratic pickups, uh, I, I we were all kind of like waiting for the knives to come out for Kevin McCarthy. Um, but it looks like, you know, if, I mean, if he he can plausibly say, well, you know, I we, we limited our loss. We actually gained a few seats. Uh, now we shift our attention to what's going on with the Democrats. You know, one one thing extraordinary from my perspective, too, is that Sherry Bustos, the Democrat from Illinois who runs the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, had yeah. a little bit of a fright last night. Uh, you know, she did you know, eventually pull it out. But, you know, the DCCC chairwoman is not supposed to have close races like that. And her <laughs> whole argument was that she knows how to win in tough races. Well, she did win, but very in a very uncomfortable manner. So this is going to lead to a lot of Democratic questions on their leadership side, too. 
Well, I got to say, friends, a great job assessing where we are today when we don't really know where the hell we are right now at this moment. In, in real time, they're counting the Michigan vote and uh, just added enough votes to tick Biden up above Trump. So this is uh, all is, happening as we speak. Is that right? Oh, good. Well, we will know more hour by hour as the day goes along and uh, hopefully know the final result by this evening. Uh, but thank you so much for bringing us up to date on where we are at this moment. Maya King and Christopher Catalago from Politico, Ginger Gibson, NBC Digital, and Jason Dick, CQ Roll Call. Thank you so much, and thank you all for listening. Uh, I would just have to echo the words of Joe Biden. Please be patient. Let them count all the votes, uh, and then we will celebrate or not uh, the result uh, at the end of the day. Meanwhile, well, thank you so much for joining us here on the Bill Press Pod and today's special roundtable. Uh, stay strong, stay safe. Now, Friday, we'll be back with another roundtable. By that time, we think we will know who the winner is, and we can talk about that with absolute certainty. Thank you, panelists. Thank you all. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.